0: So Money, Episode 309, Leah Goldman.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi.
0: Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. It's nice to have you back. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You're in for a treat today. Today's guest is one of my favorite people, absolute favorite people to chat women, work, and money with and everything in between. I always feel really inspired after speaking with her, and she is a total champion for women in the workplace. Leah Goldman is the executive editor at Marie Claire. And at the magazine, she's been at the forefront of bringing important stories to readers about how women cannot necessarily have work-life balance because that doesn't really exist, but really soar in their careers and simultaneously have fulfilling personal lives. It can be done. Now, previous to Marie Claire, Leah interviewed billionaires and uber successful people for Forbes magazine. She also currently serves as an adjunct professor at the School of Professional Studies at NYU. We talk about a lot of things. We cover a lot of range in this conversation. I ask her, does sexism still exist? Uh, yeah. She talks about why women should always ask for at least 20% more when negotiating. She gives me her real thoughts about the book Lean In. And if some of you didn't really love it, well, you're going to like this conversation. And then we talk about how, you know, how pop culture and how the media portrays young women today and is it really a snapshot of the true women that at least Leah has been recognizing and noticing and like for example is the cast of girls really reflective of today's millennial female we think not I'm telling you this is a very rich and fun conversation sit back and relax here is Leah Goldman Leah Goldman, my friend, welcome to So Money. It's a pleasure to have you voice to voice on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You and I have been uh, friends, acquaintances. In some cases, we've worked together on some projects for several years, and I've always been an admirer of your work and your you really raise the bar, I think, in the editorial world when it comes to women's magazines, creating a voice for women who are interested in getting to the next level in their career, being entrepreneurial. At Marie Claire, you've dedicated a lot of your your focus to helping women advance in their careers. And you started at, before that, you were, I believe, you were at Forbes, right?
1: That's right. That's right. I spent 10 years at Forbes covering billionaires, traveling the world, hunting, Hunting down the richest people in the world, really. And so when you got to Marie Claire, was it the goal initially
0: to be this champion for women in the workplace at Marie Claire? Was it something that the magazine wanted to really initiate and you spearheaded it? Or did it kind of evolve as the readers evolved?
1: It, I would say it was an evolution. When I got to Marie Claire, you know, at the time, the interest was someone – you know, the editor in chief at the time wanted to create, the, finally someone was going to create the GQ for women, the the smart meaty read. And she was looking for real reporters. And I had a business background and she was interested in, in going there in the magazine, which was cool. Very interesting for me. Of a, a course, you know, a change of direction in my career that I could not have expected. But as I, as we got here and as we you know, as I progressed in the women's magazine world, which was very new terrain for me, I had gone from working entirely with men to working entirely with women. You know, you would read both Marie Claire and other magazines at the newsstand in our competitive set, and there would be no acknowledgement that women worked. There literally was no acknowledgement that women spent the bulk of their time working concurrent with the fact that they were not getting married or getting married later. They had um, spending power. They were making good money and they were making these big purchasing decisions. And you would read these magazines and the only nod to that would be the occasional money story with the credit card frozen in a block of ice. You know, how to save money. It was all sa- how to save a few bucks kind of content. And we thought, you know what? There's a, there's something changing. There's a zeitgeist change here that we need to address and. It just took off.
0: Now, was this something where other magazines were just asleep at the wheel, and even maybe you could argue that in Marie Claire this wasn't apparent right away? Why was there a resistance to it? Was it just uh, no, I, it, was, I, it was you were doing? You know, because sometimes in the editorial world, the articles are very cyclical. <laughs> so, yes.
1: Like, what was happening? This was a time when Lean In. This is pre Lean In. So the the conversations around working women, just we weren't having those conversations, certainly not as a nation. We weren't addressing the fact that women were getting married later. The fact that women were really wrestling with wanting to have fulfilling, lucrative careers. And also have a life outside work. And by life outside work, I also mean like, I of course mean family, but you'll notice if you read Marie Claire, we, we never use the term work life balance because it's not just about the family. You know, for a lot of younger women, millennials, especially, it's about having a fulfilling life out of work that has nothing to do with kids or a husband or a boyfriend. It's, you know, being fit and, you know, devoting your time to different projects and having a side business. So, you know, I I think just generally women's magazines, but magazines in general, nobody, it was too early. Nobody was seeing that this was a real sea change in the culture, but we noticed it. And literally it started with two pages. Like we started to do two pages, every issue we called it, it was originally called The Careerist and it was work related issues. Like I remember one of the early ones we did was just a little teeny article on whether it's worth it to Brown, whether Brown bagging it is really worth it. And over time, it's evolved to these really, um, I lo- uh, these splashy profiles. We basically do what Forbes did. We make heroes of these very accomplished women that you've probably never heard of. And we make it a point not to cover the usual women. I mean, usually it's Cheryl, Marissa. You can name on one hand the women that tend to get covered, the successful, quote unquote, successful women that magazines like to cover. And and my goal is to really, you know, find, uncover the this other layer of women that are operating behind the scenes that are killing it professionally um, and have very visible, influential jobs. But just the media, I think, you know, we're we're kind of a lazy bunch and it's easy to go with what's right in front of you. But I I really make it a point to look for women that you've not heard of, that you've not met before. What was your take on lean in? That's a great question. I make it a point to ask every woman, woman I interview what she thinks of it. And I, I'm always um, interested in the response because typically I get the pause and well, are you going to run that? Are you going to run that? (laughs) You know, Look, I'm I, afraid. Yeah. I think a lot of women are just, you know, I they have very mixed feelings about it. Absolutely she gets all the credit in the world for making it a normalized kind of conversation to have for literally m- making it part of our vernacular we now it's shorthand for dialing up your career you're leaning into your career that's an amazing thing that we have a shorthand for that thanks to Cheryl Sandberg but Cheryl I mean I have the same critiques that everybody else had you know coming from her perch it's it's relatively more comfortable to say well you know you should you should by default lean in. And I I just feel like, you know, money affords a lot of latitude that not even poor women, not even women struggling, you know, two jobs, child care, all that stuff. But like, you know, middle class, upper middle class women like me who are comfortable enough to go out and buy an expensive pair of shoes, who do have the luxury of hopping in a cab now and again. But these are also very challenging um, conversations for us to have financially speaking. So- um, I applaud her. I think it's awesome that in such a short period of time, the conversation has moved to where it has moved, but we're not done yet. And there are like legitimate practical issues that I'm not sure Lean In covers.
0: How rampant is sexism still in the in the workplace? And I, I ask this because recently, I'm sure you read it. It was all over the news. Um, Jennifer Lawrence uh, realized that she was getting a lot less money than her co male counterparts in a movie. And then, um, she wrote about it in Lena Dunham's newsletter. And, you know, I actually went on Fox news to support that, that she was saying, you know, I basically, she said, I, I didn't do my job, which was to ask for more. And, um, some people thought, well, you know what? Uh, it it is what it is. It's And I said, you know what? It, there's a little bit of sexism perhaps perhaps at play. But the real issue is why didn't she ask for more? And she really owns up to that. And I have to applaud her for that. But I was on the show with this other woman who thought that, you know, um, there is no such thing as the gender wage gap. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. which, <laughs> which, I- is, which is not arguable. Like it is what right. it is. I was like, I don't
0: know what planet you're living on. It sounds fabulous. I don't live there, um, but here on Earth, it still exists. But as far as, you know, so there, my point is that there are a, m- a number of variables as to why there is this gender wage gap. How big of a force is sexism still, do you think?
1: I think it's a big force. I Just going back to the Jennifer Lawrence thing, what I find most interesting about that whole brouhaha that so rarely got discussed was the fact that Jennifer Lawrence wasn't doing the negotiating. Her agents were. Yes, yes. And thank you. Donuts, <laughs> and Dollars to Donuts, her agent was a man who probably took for granted that women make less, even women with starring roles versus, you know, co-starring men who have lesser parts who, who can command more. And, and I can sort of, you can, of course, anyone can visualize how that goes. You know, you just walk in, you, these negotiations are probably so rote at this point that they, everybody walks in with an understanding that a woman is going to earn less than her male co-star. So, you know, look outside of Hollywood, cause that is sort of a, a unique business. I I think it's institutionalized and people always get a little squeamish when you know i talk about this it's the scary sexism with a capital s word but the fact of the matter is that literally out of the gate a woman's first job she's getting paid less than a man this we know to be fact and sure the onus is on her to ask for more to push for more but you know all this stuff predates you know starts very early mm-hmm. on you know all the studies about how women are in you know are nurtured not to be aggressive. These are not qualities that are really cultivated in young girls. So it, it has effects long after throughout a woman's career. Um, one of the best, best interviews I've ever done in my entire career at Forbes here, otherwise, was I spoke with Barbara Neal, a Stanford business professor, who told me very simply, where no matter where you are in your career, Whenever you're discussing the next job, first job, next job, raise, promotion, whatever, whatever number you have in your mind, ask for 20% more. Doesn't matter if you think that's a lofty number to start, add 20% more. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I thought, well, you know, sometimes that, that might not be a good idea. And she said, no, 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 because you have to overcompensate for the fact that out of the gate, you absolutely were paid at least 20% less than you ought to have, than you ought to have been paid. So, at some point in your career, you ought to compensate for that. So I, I just thought that was mind-blowing advice. And I've used it. I've used it in every negotiation after.
0: Wouldn't it be nice to have female mentors like her at your workplace? Because that, fortunately for me, what helped me in my, for one of my first big job negotiations was I had a colleague, female colleague who was senior to me, more experienced and more brazen, who said, and I confided in her. I said, I'm looking for, I'm, I'm, I'm up for this job. And I think I have to basically have the the salary talk at the next meeting and she goes ask for twice what you're making now. Yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? But she said, "You know what? This is actually your advantage. You're leaving the company, you're going to a new company. Um they it's a it's a more senior role, like this is what the market demands, you should get." And I thought, "You crazy." But you know what? I sucked it up and I asked for double at the meeting and I got pretty close to it.
1: Yeah. And I could not believe it. It's like breaking a seal. Whenever I talk to women who do just that, who ask for more, you know, that first time is always the hardest time because you have to break the seal. Once you do it once, it just becomes a hell of a lot easier next time in every area of your life. Also at home, you know, stepping up and asking for more from your partner, stepping up and asking for more from your financial services providers, from your employer. It becomes easier to do when you realize that, A, it's not personal, it's business, and B, Ain't no shame in it. Ain't no shame. you got to flex that muscle.
0: Yes. So, Leah, what's your financial philosophy? We've thrown out a lot of uh, great catchphrases th- throughout our 10 minutes so far. But what would you say encapsulates your money mindset, something that you live by that maybe you haven't articulated before, but now you're on the show and I'm putting you on the spot, so you have to say it?
1: Well, we talked about ask for more, Mm -hmm. I think, and that's, I wish I could take credit for that. I think there's an actual organization that has that catchphrase, ask for more, but I think it's a, it's a good one and a worthy one, but you know, I'm also at this stage in my life, I'm married, I have two children, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the kind of liberty to take the risks that I did when I was younger. So now I'm sort of in the, a more defensive posture, financially speaking. So I'm much more cautious I'm much more prudent, I'm much less cavalier. And I, you know, everything, everything I spend my money on now, I think twice about like, I, I'm not great with money. I'll be the first to admit it. My husband was laughing when he, when I told him I was doing this podcast, because he's like, you're really lousy with money. And I was like, I know, I know. And there are a lot of, there are probably a lot more women like me, you know, that can relate to that. Um, But I try, you know, I always have this, especially yesterday, Cyber Monday, I had to spend, spend, spend. You know, and I just every time I was ready to do that, I just like kind of got up from my desk, took a drink of water and then came back to it and asked myself, do I really want this? That's my that's my philosophy these days. Like, just give yourself a break and then come back to it if you really want to go ahead. But don't make any impulse purchases. It really, really works. I think so. I I think it's changed. the way I spend. Cause I, I spent a lot and I, over my lifetime, I feel like I spent a lot of money on junk. And then I started working at a fashion magazine where the philosophy here is don't buy 10 pairs of junky shoes for 75 bucks a pop Buy the one nice pair of shoes for four or 500. And I know for a lot of women that's excessive and, and, and too much. And I get that. And everyone has their own bar for what, you know, is a splurge, but uh, you know, here in in the fashion world, you'll notice a lot of the women and men too wear the same rotation of clothes every week. They're fine clothes, they're beautiful clothes. They also know how to mix up high and low. But the shoes and the bags—they always say they spend on shoes and bags. You spend on everything else. You can cut corners on. So I I've I've assimilated some of that practice, and now I'm much more um, careful about. I, I'm I'm less inclined to do the like. The TJ Maxx quick purchase than I used to be.
0: Yes, although I have to say I love beautiful shoes too, and sometimes I have made those splurges. But walking around in New York City with expensive shoes, it's, it's a it's a recipe for disaster.
1: Agreed, a hundred percent. I wish you could see under my desk right now because I have about eight pairs of heels and about three pairs of flats. So I always walk around with a pair of flats for precisely that reason.
0: So now, when you were growing up, Leah, where did you grow up by the way? I grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey, Jersey strong, Jersey in the house. All right. So now what was your what was your introduction to money like? What what would you say was your number one money memory as a kid growing up? And what did it well, teach I- you?
1: I was the second of five kids, and my, I was, my older sister, Rebecca, was the really financially responsible one, and I had a reputation even early on for being irresponsible, and I remember we, every year we used to go to Disney World. As a family, we'd hop in the station wagon and drive down from New Jersey to Orlando. And once we got to the hotel, I have this vivid memory of at the time the hotel would give you like a little credit card that you could spend anywhere in the Magic Kingdom. Um, And I remember my parents got an extra one and gave it to my older sister, Rebecca. And I asked for one. I said, can I have one, please? Can I have one? And they said, no, 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 you're not responsible enough. And my older sister, true to form... She took us out for ice cream one day. That was back in the days when three little girls could go, you know, traipse through a hotel and get ice cream.
0: (laughs) Your parents would not Um, get arrested for letting you loose.
1: Yeah, all good. And she came back with a receipt for that ice cream and had itemized who got what, you know? So and I remember my parents <laughs> being pulled over that she was so responsible, like with this receipt and and being so careful. And I, I just that made a deep impression on me. Like, okay, that's what being responsible is, just being very meticulous and orderly and you know, on top of it, and accountable accountability. I guess is the takeaway mm. from. This. And so, your sister is all those
0: things still these
1: days. Very much so. Very much so. And and you know, I'm still the profligate daughter. You know, <laughs> I, I I think I'm better than Who's I was trying to
0: bum ice cream off your sister. Right yes, <laughs> yes, she's good for it. She's good for it. Well, uh, share with us now a so many moment, Leah. Something that perhaps happened in your financial life or in your career that you would define as a financial
1: win of sorts? What happened and, and where were you? So, you know, I, um, when I graduated college, I, like a lot of young people, had a lot of credit, I not only had student loan debts, but I had credit card debts because, you know, what, what's the first thing that happens when you end up on campus? There's that little table somebody sets up with, you know, and, and they try to get a credit, give you a credit card. And of course, nobody's, you know, at that age responsible, uh, you know, new to college with a credit card. And I did what every other kid does. And I racked up a lot of debt. And I, um, I went into my marriage with a lot of, um, with a lot of personal debt. And I remember having a sit down with my husband and it was one of those things that we write about in Marie Claire. I, I was that story where he was like, look, you know, I love you, you know, and I, I see a life together, but this has to change. Like I can't, I can't be a partner because it's really a partnership at that point. I can't be a partner to that kind of freewheeling, you know, financial recklessness. And together we made a plan to pay off that debt and we did. And to this day, I have no credit card debt and I am very proud of that. It was a formative moment for me. I was, it was embarrassing. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't, you don't want to go into a, a relationship like that and be schooled you know, be schooled by someone about, you know, it's when you're an adult about money, but it was important for me. And I like to think that was the moment where I really turned the ship around. How long did it take you to get out of debt? It took me, well, I remember being at Marie Claire when I paid my last student loan debt and I've been here almost nine years. So that was a big moment. And then the credit card debt, we, you know, was finally over and done with before I got married, which was about nine years ago. So recently. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, thank you. And I'm really proud of the fact that I literally have no credit card. We, as a couple, have no mm. credit card debt.
0: And now when you use credit cards, you just pay them off in full every month?
1: Yes, yeah, or I just yeah. don't use them. I pay for everything in cash.
0: Yeah. So people say that when they use cash, they actually end up – I don't know if you've actually compared it to previous years, but they say that they will end up saving about 20% of – or they'll still spend 20% less than they would normally. I think that's about true. That's about I'm right. I'm
1: not sure. But when we first got married, my husband and I did an experiment where we put all the household expenses on an Amex. And then he said, you know, what? let's try and, and do it. On, you know, let's try and pay through with cash and see how that goes. And I don't know that it was 20%, but we saved significantly by paying with cash.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I love my credit card points and I put so much on my credit card, but, uh, yeah, I think that when it comes to everyday purchases, like just having said, I just interviewed somebody who said when she was trying to get out of debt, she put herself on a $10 cash budget daily and slowly, but surely she got, she climbed her way out of lots of debt and you know, you have to be really disciplined, but it, there's a pain associated to using cash, which is actually a good pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not one of those budget people. I, I, as soon as I hear the word, it makes my skin crawl. I'm not, I can't stick to a budget. I don't like being put on one. I feel the same way about diets, but, um, because budgets are in effect diets. But I, I'm also one of those people that's not going to quote unquote deprive myself. Like if I want a manicure, I'm getting a manicure. If I want a, a, a latte, I'm getting a latte. Um, but I have learned restraint because there's myriad other ways that you spend on nonsense, you know, like the quick run to CBS or Dwayne Reed or whatever. And and then you're buying just a lot of junk you don't need or, you know, the TJ Maxx or what have you. And I I love a good TJ Maxx, but um, those things add up. And I feel like I'm much more restrained in my later years. I was not restrained
0: on Sunday when we did a quick stop at Target on the way home from my in-laws. The, the baby needed a break, and frankly, I think I I wanted to just experience some retail. <laughs> I had been cooped up in a house guess. all absolutely. weekend, and I find we went to Target and uh, we spent a a, a a bit of money on like wrapping paper. And I mean, I mean, come on, you can't walk out of Target without spending at least a hundred bucks. It's just <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely. And in fact, I've got a bag in my bedroom as we speak of target stuff that needs to go back. Cause I bought, I was there, I was like, Oh, let me get my son a pair of snow boots. And then I came home and I saw he had a pair. Yes. Um, let me get, you know, the baby needs another pair of sweat pants and, you know, and then I get home and I'm like, he has like 80 pairs of sweatpants. I, I do that all the time.
0: It's just so well displayed at target too. Yeah. It's such yeah. an experience. Like I go into, I go into some other big box stores and it's not, it's like dark and i walk out but target it's like it keeps me amused for much too long. All right, let's talk failure, Leah. What's your biggest financial failure? Oh date? god.
1: <laughs> you know, i think the the credit card debt certainly, you know, qualifies, i now, think.
0: Was that a result of living in New York, working in a in a fashion magazine, like feeling the pressure to spend on things that you didn't need? What was the the kind of the catalyst for that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, i was living a very cavalier, excessive life of taxi cabs and, you know, picking, you know, generously picking up tabs at dinner and just throwing it down on my credit card. It was like a life, it was a lifestyle. And I, I work with a lot of young people now. And, you know, the difference I think between then and now is what the, what the frivolous expenses are. I see young people travel a lot more than I did when I was young. I see less like BS, you know, retail expenses, but I see, you know, like the big ticket, Five hundred dollar sweatshirt from opening ceremony. So, and and not to judge one is better than the other, but when you're you know living with three roommates, I guess I'm I I don't you know I don't question I don't really I don't, I don't judge how other people spend their money, but the fact of the matter is that this town is expensive. It's, it's expensive, and this town meaning New York, it's expensive to live here. And you know whether you choose to spend your money on a holiday trip to Saint Bart's or Bali or whatever, or like me, you spent it on cabs and dinners, the net result is still the same. You know, you're not saving anything. So if you had okay. to capture – And you're not prepared for emergencies. Sorry. So if you had to uh,
0: describe the financial zeitgeist of your reader, who's would you say the,
1: the, the Marie Claire Target reader is in her late 20s? Yeah. We say our, our reader is in her twenties and thirties. She's self-sufficient. She lives in a city. She's got a job. It's very important to her. She's got a, she's ambitious. Well, you know, I should correct myself. She's got a career. It's not a job. A
0: job, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so financially these, and so millennial, they are more likely to spend on the big wins, the experiences and, and are willing to save up for those things.
1: Yes. A hundred percent.
0: That's exciting. That's actually an
1: optimistic take on this generation. You don't often get that. (laughs) Yes, I think they're very driven. They value experiences. They, you know, I'm not sure. You know, uh, you know, I'm not sure where it all goes from here. Like a lot of people wrestle with this. All these futurists wrestle with, you know, what does the millennial generation look like when they're middle aged and you know overweight and all you know what all all that stuff, but. I, I find it, you know what I find interesting? I find interesting that the media portrays millennials like the girls' generation a little, oh. um, a, un- put to, you know, aloof. Not yeah. Yes. I, I find just the opposite. I find them very earnest and eager and, you know, community oriented and wanting to make a difference, be it, you know, be it like in the world or in their careers, like they want to make an impact. They want to feel like mm-hmm. they've contributed in a meaningful way. So I'm, and I find them more like the Mark Zuckerbergs than I do the Lena Dunhams. I'm sure there's a bit of both, but certainly the ones I'm surrounded by, there's not the ennui that you see on television or the entitlement. I entitled- agree.
0: And it's, it's, a, it's funny because these are, these are in the girls cast, you know, they live in New York City. Well, they live in Brooklyn, but that's where everybody lives now. But, you know, to be in New York, you have, there's a certain, mm, characteristic of, I think, people who, young people who come to New York. They're very driven. They're very ambitious. And I don't get that from a lot of the cast members, which is strange. I mean, maybe if yeah. they were in, I feel like they, should be somewhere like on the west coast.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somewhere laid str- back, yeah. Yeah, like the Malays that I don't I don't necessarily identify mm-hmm. in the younger colleagues I work with. I sound like an old lady. I'm not terribly old, but no. I am not millennial.
0: Well, I agree with you. And I, I, I don't think that they really capture <clears throat> fairly the, uh, the millennial zeitgeist, the millennial drive. I think that I, I at least like to, I have a, higher hopes and higher expectations and standards for young people. My brother's 24 and I see it in him. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased.
1: All so right, Lee, let's every, do- th- I will just add that every millennial I meet has some sort of side gig and I find that fascinating. Yes. That Fuck, they've got it. They Etsy have to. Store.
0: They got student loans and, and you know what? It's actually a nice silver lining to everything because maybe they're finding their creative outlet through that yes. side gig. It's it's exactly. a good thing. All right. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so let's do some quick, uh, so many fill in the blanks. This is our lightning round where I start a sentence and you finish it. The first thing that comes to mind- Ready? Yes. Yeah. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you played Powerball and someone knocked on your door and gave you a hundred million bucks, first thing I would do is
1: quit my job and start a charity.
0: Nice. I'll ask you yeah. later about charity. Today is uh, we're recording this on Giving Tuesday. Um, fun fact. Okay. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is.
1: My nanny. I, I pay premium for my nanny. I love her. She runs my house and that's the way I like it.
0: <laughs> Take the keys. Run. Yes. Do it. One thing I splurge on, I spend a lot of money on this, but it's worth every penny and I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: My hair color. Yes. <laughs> I, I've been coloring my hair for many years. I pay top dollar for it. Erica Sabo at Louis Licari. I've known her for many years and it's worth every penny. Why are you telling us your secrets? Don't tell us your beauty secrets. I think she's wonderful.
0: All right. I'm going to have to maybe switch. Um, don't tell my stylist. Um, when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is?
1: I wish I'd learned to save. I wish I'd learned to I, – I wish I'd not spent money on a big fancy wedding reception and put a down payment on something. <laughs> uh, but, you know, these are regrets. I've had a few, but thankfully I've moved on. And, right. You know.
0: That, it it's worked it out.
1: It's worked out. Yes. Um,
0: when I donate, I like to give to blank because?
1: I'm very careful about how I donate. I have written many stories about charity scams. So I will always check guidestart.org to look at, a, at the most recent tax returns of a charity, which you can do and you ought to. I am extremely careful about how I give my money.
0: So is there a particular charity that you really love that you're giving to
1: this year? I, um, do a lot of like, uh, like I used to do New York cares. They do a secret Santa thing for kids in need. Now I'm doing the, I've since moved to New Jersey. So we're, we're doing it in, in our County. I like to give things versus money because I feel like I have a better handle on where it's going. Mm,
0: That's a great, that's a great way to look at it. Um, okay. Last but not least, I'm Leah Goldman. I'm so money.
1: So money (laughs) because I'm, I'm Leah Goldman. I am so money. Because I, hmm, why am I so money? I'm so money because I have kind of the best job in the world. I get to have conversations about money and power and negotiating and success and learn from the best in the business. I know you have no excuse. I have no excuse.
0: <laughs> you have the access like no other person. I know every day is a master
1: class over here.
0: I love it, and everyone, pick up a copy of Marie Claire and subscribe because it is yeah. uh, it is a fabulous, fabulous uh, piece of work. And I put it proudly on my coffee table. Thank, thank you so you. much. Yeah, thank you so much, Leah. Have a great holiday.
1: You too. Be well.
0: Thanks so much to my guest, Leah Goldman. Like I said, pick up a copy of Marie Claire. You can follow Leah on Twitter at L-E-A. Leah, so simple, so perfect. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. By the way, if you could go to somoneypodcast.com, you can download my free ebook there, So Money Secrets where I capture some of the best advice from some of the top guests on this show about how to live a financially fulfilling life, how to be rich. And if you'd like to ask me a question, just click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your thoughts. Every Friday, I try to answer all of your questions. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope your day is so money.